So I do, uh, do want to just pray um, because, man, what an appropriate song uh, as we go into the, to the time of, of our message here. That's, uh, that's just, it's going to be shorter than usual. But, um, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much, um, God, for the hope that you give us. We thank you so much for, um, God, just the ability that we have to meet together today. And now, Lord, as we dive into your word for a few minutes, even in this very uh, unorthodox uh, setting, um, God, it's still um, just amazing that we can get together, um, Lord. So I pray that your word would just uh, speak to us now for the next few minutes, God, and that, uh, that you would be honored, glorified, and praised, and that if there's one here that's, that's uh, maybe present or watching online, Lord, that, that uh, today might be the day um, of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, I want to talk about hope today. I want to talk about hope um, because it's one of those words that is used a lot in Christianity. It's one of those words that, um, that is also really tough to, uh, to grasp the meaning of because it has a different meaning for each and every one of us. Um, the, the word hope probably looks a little bit different to each, to each one of you. But, um, you know, th there's this idea of, of no hope. And right now in the world that we live in, um, there's a lot of hopelessness feeling right now. There's a lot of feeling of, of hopelessness um, with, with the things that are happening. And so I, I wonder how you might define hope for yourself. I wonder if what that, what that word means to you and, and how you would define hope. The actual definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. A feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we all have the desire for, uh, for this quarantine to be over. We all have the desire for this virus to, to move on and all of that. We have the desire to actually meet in there instead of out here like this. I know we all have that, that desire. We have the hope that that's coming sooner rather than later. Um, and all of those things. But I wonder maybe from a broader perspective, um, not just for those things, not just, not just for that, but in, in life, where do you put your hope, especially when it comes to the future? Where do you put your hope when it, when it comes to the future? I want you to think about this statement. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would be no different than any other good religious leader. If you want to read that again, it's in, it's in the Bible app. If you, if you have your phone and you want to follow along on the Bible app, uh, you can find all the notes right there for it. It's also on our website, connectchurch.xyz slash drive-in. You can find everything right there um, for, the, uh, for the notes for the message. But, but I want you to read this, this statement, and I want you to look at it and, and really think about that for a minute. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would be no different than any other good religious leader. That's the crux of our faith right there, isn't it? See, I wonder for you, think about this for a minute. If on the day of the resurrection, you were there, if you were there and Jesus appeared to you, how do you think you would have reacted? What, what would your response have been if Jesus appeared to you? I talked about this on, on Good Friday. You know, one of the, the best proofs for the resurrection of Jesus is the changed lives of the disciples. Their lives were completely changed because they knew, they knew that Jesus rose from the grave. And, and their faith was something that they were willing to die for. And all of them gave their life for their faith except one. 
But see, even in the midst of everything that was going on with them, their hope was never gone. Their hope was never gone. They went through some definite tough times, but their hope was never gone. And so the, the next point I have here is that without hope, we give up on life. Without hope, we give up on life. The Apostle Paul spent some time quarantined, if you will. Spent some time alone, in fact, a lot of time alone, in prison. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And, and this guy wrote, wrote these books, a lot of them, while he was in prison. You want to talk about a guy who should have acted like someone with no hope because he was in prison knowing that more than likely he was going to be executed at, at various times. But, but he wrote these books of the Bible and he wrote a, a lot of and, and structured a lot of what we have as a church from a position of joy and hope. From a guy who was in a position where he really shouldn't have had too many. Why? Why is that? Why was he able to write that way? The reason he was able to write that way is because Paul knew that what Jesus said was true. He knew that God was powerful because he met Jesus. He had an experience with the resurrected Savior. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then God's powerless. We would be lost forever. And we would just be following the teachings of a dead guy. And all of this would be useless. See, Paul had certainty about his faith. He had certainty about the creator. That was his formula for hope. The miracle of the resurrection really gives us hope to keep living and to keep pushing forward and to keep moving forward because we can have the hope that God is going to do what he promised. God will do what he promised. And his promises were just as good then as they are now. If he had the power to raise Jesus from the dead then a virus like this is really no big deal. What is going on right now is really not a big deal. I think we could all agree that even, even if you would remove the whole virus pandemic and thing that's going on right now, that our world was not headed on a, is not headed on a great trajectory as it is. The world falling apart in many ways from, from a morality standpoint and, and various other, other aspects. And the miracle of Easter is our only real hope for the future. The resurrection is our only real hope. See, Easter isn't about uh, bunnies and baskets and jelly beans. All that stuff's great. I know we gave some of that stuff out to the kids, and I'm sure some of your kids, as mine did, woke up to some of those things. And, and that's all fun and good. But, but the hope that we have is in a faithful God. And so what I'd like to do for the next couple of minutes here is I want to read the Easter story. And I'm going to read the entire chapter of Matthew 28. And you're like, wow, Jay, we're still sitting in our cars here. You're going to read a whole chapter. It's not that long, so stick with me. The, the whole chapter of Matthew 28. And then I want to look at a couple of aspects of it. So listen up here, and, and you can follow along with me. I'm in Matthew chapter 28 in the New Living Translation. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. 
And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb and they were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so that you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say and their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, the last few verses there is what we call the Great Commission. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about some, some aspects of that. But I want to look at four groups of people in this story. Four groups of people who witnessed the resurrection and four groups of people who loved Jesus but really had strong feelings of despair when he died because they thought that all hope was gone. But they were missing what gone really meant. So Mary, Mary Magdalene, she was consumed with sorrow. She was extremely sorrowful. She was, she was hurting over the loss of Jesus. She went to the tomb. Jesus was gone. She's crushed. She's crushed and completely disheartened. And then you've got the disciples. These are the guys that walked with Jesus. They were terrified. They were consumed with fear. They had just watched their leader who performed all these miracles and did all these amazing things as they walked with him for a couple of years be killed and die. They were terrified. They locked themselves in a room. They were afraid because the Jewish leaders are the ones that condemned Jesus to death. And then you've got Thomas, one of the disciples. He was consumed with doubt. Even after the resurrection, he didn't believe the disciples' words. And he said this, I will not believe until I see the nail marks in his hands, and I will not believe until I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand in his side. Ew. But at the same time, he needed for whatever reason, his doubt was so intense that he needed, he needed to see it and touch it to believe it. And then you've got Peter. Peter was consumed with failure. Consumed with failure. He had denied Jesus three times after swearing to be faithful. Looked Jesus in the eye and said, I will not deny you to the point of death. I will not deny you. And some hours later, didn't deny him once, denied him three times. And then it says he went off and wept bitterly. He was consumed with failure. Can you identify with any of these people? I know I can. I can identify with, with all of them in, in different ways at different times and different seasons of my life. I know that I can identify with them. When your faith is weak, which of these four best describes 
you? Are you sorrowful, fearful, doubtful, maybe unfaithful? Did these things maybe keep you from, from knowing God or really living life as it was intended to live, even, even in the midst of this? 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Talked about this a little bit when I started. Talked about this verse on Friday, the Good Friday service as well. But I want to dive into this area a little bit further for just a minute because if you look at the main events of Easter, this verse is really the center point of where we're going because hope in many ways begins with knowledge. Hope, in a lot of ways, begins with knowledge. And so I want to look at some of the main events here. So the first point would be this, that Jesus really died. Jesus really died. Look at that sun coming out. Jesus really died. He experienced a cruel death on the cross. Now, there's, a, there's this idea that, that has gone around that maybe you've heard before. It's called the swoon theory. And if you ever have somebody put this one out to you, to me it just screams ignorance because the swoon theory really says that Jesus didn't actually die, that he just kind of passed out and that he didn't like really die and that he just sort of resuscitated, if you will, and three days later, you know, kind of kind of came out. Let's, let's look at that for a second, shall we? Because this, this really is an attempt to invalidate the resurrection. So that's why this is important. See, the Roman soldiers, these guys were experts in crucifixion. They were experts in it. And as I mentioned on Friday, the fact that Jesus even made it to the cross was a miracle because um, the flogging and the cat of nine tails and all of that, most people didn't even live through that. He was filleted open. And I'm not going to get into super details, but if you've seen something, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, it was worse than that. That was pretty close, but it was worse than that. The fact that he even made it to the cross was amazing. So, so we're, we're saying that not only did, did Jesus not die, that, that he, he lived through all that and just passed out, and then they brought him down and wrapped him in burial clothes, and a bunch of professional killers, which is what the Romans were, the crucifixion, the, the people that did, you know, handled the crucifixion, said, yes, he's dead. They stabbed him with a spear, but that didn't kill him either. And then they wrapped him in burial clothes, put him in a tomb, put a three or 4,000 pound stone in front of it. And three days later, he got himself up with holes in his, in his feet and his hands. He moved this stone and took off running and nobody caught, like, it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that he rose from the grave, quite frankly. That, that theory is, is ridiculous. And especially when you think about the amount of pain and blood and everything that, that he went through, the excruciating pain. I don't know if you know this, the word excruciating, the root of that word actually comes from the word crucifixion. That, that's really where that word comes from. This explanation is, is ridiculous. Jesus really died. Dude was dead. Humanly speaking, he was dead. And then he was really buried. He was really buried. We know this from, uh, from historical records, but, you know, when someone dies, you bury them. We know that. But the Roman soldiers, they were completely aware of Jesus' claims to rise from the dead. They were completely aware of that. And they weren't going to give an opportunity for Jesus' followers to pull some kind of con. So they made sure that they buried him, and they sealed it with a Roman seal and all of those things. They weren't going to take any chances 
and give the disciples Jesus' body. A lot of times when, when people were crucified, once they knew they were dead, they just left them hanging there and let the birds pick them or whatever and, and do anything. But no, no, the Romans made sure, no, this guy needs to get buried. We can't just leave him hanging there for a few days to just rot away or whatever. We need to make sure that this guy gets buried because we don't need an uprising here. You don't go to those lengths for just a regular criminal. Jesus was really buried. And Jesus really rose from the dead. This is the bottom line of our faith because the resurrection of Jesus is the miracle that our faith was built on. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection either. It wasn't a ghost. This was a, he wasn't Casper floating around. This was a body, a physical resurrection. It says he, he walked around, he met with people. This is the miracle of our faith. He sat down and had meals with people. Casper doesn't eat meals. He was around for 40 days and was seen at various different times. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. It says, I passed on to you what was most important. This is Paul writing here. And what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. The, the center verses of that are what's, uh, what are referred to as, as the creed. Jesus was really, he, he really rose from the grave. We have so many historical records outside of the Bible of him being seen from Philo to Josephus and all different kinds of things. If you really want to get nerdy and look into it, you can, you can find it. There's, there's a ton there. It's one of the most historically documented events in antiquity outside of the faith, even outside of, of, of reading the Bible. He was seen by so many people. As I wrap it up here, I don't know how many of you have maybe seen this statue that's in, in Rio de Janeiro. It's called Christ the Redeemer. I'm sure you've seen it. It's been in movies and, and all kinds of things. And it's, it's a really, um, you know, it's, it's just been in a lot of stuff. So I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen it. But it's this, it's this statue of Jesus that was built in 1931. It's 125 feet tall. And it took nine years to build. It's an amazing piece of artwork. It's considered one of the modern uh, seven wonders of the world. And what's interesting is the artists, when they, when they built it, when they, were building, when they were building it, they were all disagreeing on what his arms should do in the, in, in the design of it. You know, some people thought his arms should be one way or this way, or I don't think they decided to do this or this. But they, they were trying to figure out, nobody could agree on what his arms should do. And they ended up coming back to a really simple pose, if you will. Because a lot of times in, in art, they, they taught us this in art school, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. And so his arms are just like this. For those of you that, that can see me through your cars, his, his arms are just, just like this, and he's standing like this, and it's so perfect. It's so perfect. It's, it's so simple. And that statue is called Christ the Redeemer. And that's really the message of Jesus. It's that simple. Redeem means pay in full. The sins on the cross are paid in full. Your sins and my sins are completely paid in full. And we know that it really happened. And like that statue, his arms are still standing like this. His arms are still out and wide and open for you to come running to. And just like that statue, but even more so, his arms never get tired.
His arms never go down. His arms are always open like this for you and for me because you have been paid in full. I know that we can feel hopeless. I know that these times that we are going through right now, that there are, there are moments probably during the day when we're just not able to go out and do anything and we feel hopeless. But we have hope because we have Christ, the Redeemer. We have the hope of Jesus. We have the love of Jesus and we have the knowledge that he is who he said he is. And so my connection point for the morning is that because he lives, death is gone, life has risen, and we have hope. We are alive and we have hope. We have hope because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because as, as it says in Corinthians, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we know that he is coming back for us one day. I'm hoping sooner rather than later. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus means that there is power to begin again. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're into. So would you bow with me? Would you bow your heads wherever you're at? Whether you're at home, whether you're in your car, here with us. And I want to just pray for a minute and I want to give, and I want to give an opportunity. Let me ask you this. What area of your life needs God's power right now? What area of your life needs God's power right now? I just pray that you would give that to him. I pray that you would give that to him right now. And if you don't have a relationship with him, if you maybe don't even feel like you can talk to him, let me tell you that you can because he's standing there with his arms open wide for you. He is the redeemer. You are paid in full. And all you have to do is cry out to him. If you're not 100% sure that you're going to be in heaven with him, if you were to die right now, do you know for 100% sure that you would be in heaven with Jesus? If not, all you have to do is, is admit that, that you're a sinner. Admit that you need a savior. Believe in Jesus. Put your full faith and trust in him. Cry out to him in your, in your heart, in your mind, even out loud. And ask him to save you. Father, I thank you so much that you have redeemed us. God, I thank you that we are paid in full and I thank you that this day we celebrate that you have saved us from our sins and that you are alive. And Father, we are excited for you to, to be with you one day and for you to come back to get us one day. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to get together. And Lord, we, we pray that you would just continue to bless the next few minutes that we have here together. And God, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that whether they're here or at home, God, that they would make that decision, put their full faith and trust in you. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that our sins are gone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.